Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of The Working Experience. This episode is brought to you by an app that I created called Still Believe. Still Believe transforms a picture in your home into video proof of your child's favorite magical characters. With the app, parents can catch the magic of the tooth fairy leaving money under their child's pillow or Santa delivering presents on Christmas Eve in their home. You download the app, take a picture, and we create the magic. We utilize feature film visual effects artists to transform your picture into video. You can tell your kids that you have a special app that can detect and capture the Tooth Fairy and Santa and then present them with the video proof in the morning. The look on their faces is priceless. Your Still Believe video is created in minutes and you can then save it to your phone and share on social media. The Still Believe app is available for the iPhone and Android and it's free to download. Our aim is to bring joy and wonder into the hearts of children around the world. Check it out at stillbelieve.co. This episode is also brought to you by my digital media agency, One Circle Media. One Circle creates content that builds networks and audiences across multiple platforms, servicing networks, studios, brands, and Fortune 500 clients. Check out our work at onecircledigital.com and onecirclebrand.com. If you work for a studio, network, startup, or corporation and are looking for a partner to create media that will build, engage, and entertain your audience, reach out to me at john, J-O-H-N, at onecirclemedia.com. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks, everyone, and I hope you enjoy this episode of The Working Experience. The Working Experience. 93 North is almost at a standstill. It's a rough one out there this morning. Snow and sleep. There is no service on the... Stand clear of the closing doors, please. Uh, Yeah, folks, we're going to be a few minutes. We have train traffic ahead of us. We should be moving shortly. John, we need that report ASAP. Where are we on that presentation? And HR wants to see you. Did you return that email yet? We have a team meeting at 10. To stay late, Bob. Teamwork makes the dream work. (laughs) They're moving in a different direction. And after the meeting, we'll have a breakout session. Who ate my Where are my hot pockets? This microwave is disgusting. Oh, God, what's that? He was no. living his toenails at his desk. I can't take it anymore. I can't take it anymore. Hey, everybody. This is Maddie Kay. And John. And it is February 16th, 2019. Uh, wonderful weather. Kind of warm. I took a personal day from work on Thursday and went skiing. It was does, delightful. Uh, does your principal know that or was this, uh, this above the line? told them that my mother was having a medical emergency and mm-hmm. I had to bring her to the doctor. <laughs> so, you know, nice. I, I lied. I, I um, like that. Which is kind of mostly how I handle things. That's fair. Uh, no, I, when you take a personal day, you just put it online say i'm taking them we're allowed three personal days a year and we get 15 sick days which is to me has always struck me as a lot that's a lot it is uh and and people still complain about that (laughs) they shouldn't i mean other jobs you don't get any sick days i would i would be out i'd be out somewhere around 20 to 30 days for mental sickness just uh well they roll over too so you like i didn't use any sick days last year so they roll over to this year so i have like 30 so i'm just going to take the month of may off and just you know (laughs) i'm going to call in call in every day going 
Oh, <laughs> oh, so still you should, not. Uh. You, what you should do is you you should record yourself with some BS sick excuse and then play that every day so it sounds exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That uh, that cyst is growing. It's it's yeah. almost three times the size that it was. <laughs> uh, so we're going to talk today about an article uh, about the tech industry, which well, is well, interesting bef- because... Well, before we get oh. into the article, let's remind our listeners. Oh, right. Yeah. We have to we, plug. We have to plug. So uh, please, uh, if you enjoy this podcast, please share it with family and friends. You can do so on the whatever device you're listening to on, on an app or within iTunes. Please rate and review us. And we always um, we always want to hear from our listeners. So please email us at work at theworkingexperience.com. If you have a funny story, if you want Matt and I to discuss a certain topic, uh, we, even if you want to record a funny story and then attach it to an email and send it in, we will discuss it on a podcast. Absolutely. And your voice will be heard. Uh, you know, it was interesting, just as a side note, I, I took the day off Thursday Went to Loon Mountain. Uh, not many people there, but apparently the day before it was packed. It was like a Saturday, and you know this guy had been there the day before, and he said, "Yeah, I couldn't believe there were all these people. They just decided to take the day off." And <laughs> apparently, I don't know, like a mass email went out. We're all taking the day off and going skiing. So I was glad I if if I had taken the day off and went up there and it was crowded, I would have been pissed. Like I would have been like, "Come on, man!" Like this you, is you you know. just you just talk, talking to the manager. You you demand yeah. that the mountain be empty for Matt. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so we were going to talk about the tech industry uh, splitting the U.S. workforce in two. And yesterday, I did a great podcast with Erin Griffith, who uh, writes for the New York Times. She's written for Wired. She has written for the Wall Street Journal. Uh, and her area is tech and how tech, uh, the ethos at tech and um, the whole grind culture, and we talked about that on another podcast, has really kind of permeated many other industries. And um, so this in particular is not really about the culture, but it's how automation, it seems to have... A lot of economists thought automation was going to do something for the economy that it really has not. And what has basically happened is that the uh, higher productivity jobs. Now, just to, because I didn't understand what that meant by that. They don't mean productivity in terms of uh, how much someone produces themselves. But productivity in this context means the dollar value of the output per worker in each industry. So there are low productivity jobs and high productivity. Jobs. I just, now I that, just want to, I just want to interject. Uh, um, I would like that number on my tombstone when I die. My high productivity, productivity number. Yeah. yeah. Not yeah. just high productivity. Well, I want the, I want the actual numerical number that was associated with my productivity at my right. highest <laughs> year. I want that. Well, we want to know your value. Name. I want it above yeah, my name. We want to. Yeah. 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 We want a specific value to John Brancaccio's life, not good father, blah, 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 great husband, whatever. What's the va- bottom line it for me? Well, G- uh, Jeannie has specific instructions 
at my eulogy to talk only about how much money I have made in in my past <laughs> life. I, I don't want her to talk about any any kind of um, no, no. you know loving relationships or father. No. I, I just want to keep it numerical. Well, that's been a little subpar. You know, yeah, and maybe just... <laughs> she can also maybe she I'm also going to have her pass around a balance sheet with my <laughs> my my current net worth at my date of death. My eulogy is going to be on the along the lines of uh, for whoever's giving it for me. Uh, Matt Matt enjoyed a good nap. Uh, <laughs> he liked <laughs> Seinfeld. <laughs> He watched Matt, that a lot. Matt's, uh, <laughs> Matt's, uh, Matt's instructions were to be uh, buried with see. his couch, laying in his couch, <laughs> and then have yeah. a coffin built around that. Yeah. And I think when he was about 39, he switched to Diet Coke. Um, and that's about it, everybody. I yeah. <laughs> kind of wraps it up. There are, there are muffins so. in the back. There's some tea yep. and coffee. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, Low productivity is like um, accommodation and food services. And again, this is like how much an individual worker, like working at a, a hotel, like how much they produce for the company in terms of money. So that profit margin is pretty low and consequently wages are low. High productivity jobs are like anywhere. They gave a range from 210000 to $30 million dollars. And again, that's not the person's salary. That's how much their work is worth to the company. And right. basically, so like, on, like on the high end would be like a programmer for Fortnite, which is right. like, you know, yeah. that those employees are probably I, I can't remember the is it Epic Games that that um, produce. So Epic, I think it's Epic Games. So that employee might be worth, you know, millions or tens of millions of dollars where your um you know your 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 reach uh your cashier at the local piggly wiggly might be might be a lower number right now as i understand it and i had to read these things a few times this is increased automation increased technology was supposed to stimulate the economy and create jobs so as I read it, you had automation, which led to fewer workers, but that led to lower prices and better quality of goods. And this would raise demand for more advanced products, which would create high-skilled, high-paying jobs. These more productive workers would make higher incomes, and this would create demand for new, more advanced products, which would create jobs, and on and on and on. But it seems like what has happened is, um, according to David Actor from MIT and Anna Solomons from Utrecht University, over the last 40 years, jobs have fallen in every single industry that has introduced technologies to enhance productivity. So it sort of seems like the cycle has come to an end. Like it's not, this is not, more jobs aren't being created. And it... This to me kind of seemed logical. Like the more you automate industries, the less workers you have. And I know they kept saying like, well, this is going to create new demand for new products and unheard of products. But like that can't go on forever. And apparently it has not. 
So uh, that's a big whoops because you have a growing population and you have technology advancing at an exponential rate. And there's nothing right now to hold it into check. You have a, you have a capitalistic system that demands shareholder value and growth at all costs. So if you're a CEO or owner of a company and you can have a robot on your factory floor, you know, like, like go into any Amazon warehouse, you'll see robots. Go into a, you know, um, a Ford or a car manufacturer, you're gonna see robots because the robots can work 24 seven. They, you don't have to pay them healthcare. They don't get tired. They don't complain. It's like the opposite of you, Maddie, is a robot. Yeah, it's like an a, a, yep. an ideal worker. You are on the other episode. You're yep. on the other end of the uh, spectrum. Just constantly frequent breaks, frequent complaining, breaks, complaining. My, <laughs> Day, my back. sick days. Yeah. So and so now so now we're in a, it's we're in a really a, a big conundrum because. And this is basically what the article is saying is like you now have people who are on one side of this technology shift, the Googles, the Facebooks, the the Teslas of the world that are benefiting from this and few people are benefiting. And the on the other end of the spectrum is you have the um, the other industries where. Uh, you have, you know, employees that are being replaced by these robots. You know, there is um, in in the U.S. the majority of jobs right now are held by um, truckers and um, uh, retailers, uh, cashiers, um, and low productivity jobs. Right, and those are ripe for for AI and replacement so self-driving trucks you know Amazon right now is um, has a store where you go in and it has sensors when you pick up the milk and then you walk out there's there's no cashiers uh, and Amazon is displacing mom and pop stores all across America um, it's you know it's a huge behemoth and they just, uh, I don't know if you saw on the news, they just pulled out of the Long Island City uh, headquarters, 25,000 jobs. Yeah. That was kind of big here around us. But like where, and, and there's got to be some sort of um, regulation or some sort of consensus as to where this is taking us. Uh, and that, sh that should be the government. But right now in the U.S., that's just under the Trump administration. That's just not happened. They're they're patting everyone on the back and we're building a wall. I guess we're just going to build a wall around these companies. You know what? I'm going to start a wall company because <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I think like, well, you're going to have to build a wall around Apple and Amazon because if you if you take this to, you know, the extremes and if millions of truckers are are displaced and go out of a job they're not they're not easily retrained into you know like the, the big um buzzword it's like oh we'll retrain them to be programmers no your average uh, trucker is a, is a white male in his late 40s early 50s He's not going to program. I mean, it's just, it's just not going to. And, nah. and the statistic, you can look at the statistics. It's it's piss poor, the the um, um, you know, the retraining. So 
you're going to have millions of of Americans who are upset. And I think that's what led to, you know, Trump getting elected. He hit a chord. I was going to say Hillary Clinton was very tone deaf. Like academically, this makes sense. But when you say to people, we're going to shut down your coal mine and we're going to retrain you to work in green energy, like that does not translate. And again, like really tone deaf. Yeah, and, and, and I think that's what, you know, Trump tapped into is, you know, the manufacturing yep. jobs in, in the Midwest and the coal mines. And he I mean, he, he basically lied to them, like just flat. I mean, he, he people don't them. like change. They, they don't they they don't want their restaurant serving a different meal on Friday night. Right. They don't like change. Right. So to tell somebody we're going to move you from Kentucky out to, I don't know, the middle of Iowa, and we're going to retrain you into using solar energy. It's like, what? Like, I have family here. Like, this is what my dad my grandfather did. Like, this, you know, like, again, that, and, you know, you're right. Donald Trump sold a false bill of goods, I think, but he just said, everything's going to stay the same. You're going to be fine. It's going to be better. You know, all these jobs coming back and all that. And that, you know, some manufacturing jobs have come back but um you know when you think in 20 30 years down the road i will say though that the article made the point about these low productivity jobs not being replaced by robots is because it's simply too expensive like they the sort of trade-off is we're not going to replace your job with a robot but your wages are going to suck i mean you're going to make you know, 20 grand a year, you're going to make 800 or the cat. I wrote some of these down what these folks make. Um, the low productivity jobs. Those are your, now this article centers around Phoenix because Phoenix is, is becoming like the new Silicon Valley. Like all these companies are moving there. Axon who are a, uh, they make the tasers and uh, they're expanding into low, low lethal, um, law enforcement. Like they, I was reading a separate article on them. They, they want to replace guns with bullets with, uh, things like tasers. So in any event, they're there. Um, all these other companies, you know, have moved there. Low regulation, gotta, you know, people are moving out there, cheap housing and whatever. But what's really been growing are the accommodation and food services. Now they average $420 a week. Administration and waste services averages seven fifty a week. Educational services eight thirty two. Retail and trade. Now the biggest growing industry is healthcare. That's that's become they have something called banner healthcare out there that has become huge. Now you have your doctors, but you have your nurses aides who are earning thirty one thousand a year. You have your home healthcare people who are earning twenty four thousand dollars a year. Those are pretty safe from automation, but those wages are not going anywhere. They're not going to earn more money. Well, I think the jobs that are safe are like your, you know, your plumbers, your your electricians, your nurses. I mean, but but even at that, you you still have, you know, like right now, it might not be um, economical to replace them with robots or ai but who knows 10 years from now who knows 20 years from now they could be they could be displaced but my point is there's a there's a massive displacement that there's this wave of displacement that's going to come with technology 
And there's there's a lot of talk right now about universal basic income and the idea to give people, say, a thousand dollars a month um, and, you know, curtailing um, other spending programs to give every single American, you know, a thousand dollars a month to stem that tide. But even that, I mean, if you were if you were a trucker making sixty thousand dollars a year and then you lose your job and you have zero job prospects, but then the government gives you a thousand bucks a month, uh, that's not yeah. that great. You know what you know what I mean? And the and uh, for a lot of these individuals, it's not like they don't want to work, right? They want to work. They want to provide for their family, but their job prospects are just not there. They're they're gone. Limited. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess well, they, they were doing they, this I guess in they Finland. Could. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say they were doing this in Finland. They started this uh, on a limited basis. Now again, Finland's a lot you know different than the U.S. But yeah, uh, these two women had started receiving the basic income. I think it was six fifty a week, their equivalent, and uh, they had started up a business. And they had said, you know, we couldn't have done that without you know that that basis of income and and like you said they want to work like they don't want to sit around waiting for a paycheck so there was an argument that it would actually stimulate the economy now if it was me i'm not doing jack squat i mean i'm just waiting for the government cheese to roll in and that's it but that's me i'm not probably indicative of most people with ambition and you know vision well, well that that's the that's the big question because the you know in the Finland study it you know I think they they concluded that people were happier but it wasn't a, it wasn't a success you know like there like how much of the population will just kick back you know and not do anything and just collect there that are some there are some but I mean there it's going to be some it's not going to be zero but is it going to be two percent is it going to be five percent is it going to be thirty percent like for instance like if you're a you know a young guy you know maybe in your your low 20s and your your parents uh, are okay with you staying at their house and you can just play xbox all day long and just mm. just exist the American dream. The American dream, right. <laughs> just, just, the couch becomes your best friend. I mean, I don't think it's the, and I think that's the big, you know, the big fear with this. And then also, too, the fact that, um, you know, this, this would cost, like, I think the estimate was $3 trillion a year, which is not a small number. And the fact that no. the U.S. right now is... I believe we're over twenty trillion dollars in debt and counting, and we're spending nah, like yeah, that's fine. We're we're spending yeah, like you know a, like a crazy crack whore on Christmas. I mean, the Republican Party when we were younger used to be fiscal, fiscally responsible. Do you remember that? I mean, it was that was their that was their selling point. It it this was pre Reagan. They were. That's why you would vote for them. That's that was why, why you would vote and for them. And the Democrats were spendthrifts. And now yep. Yep. the Democrats still spend, but the Republicans put them to shame. 
Well, this is certainly an anomaly. I mean, I don't know. They don't know what to do. Nobody knows what to do with this guy in the White House. I mean, he's not a conservative. He's not a liberal. You know, he's he's an autocrat. But leaving him aside, um, you know, it like Silicon Valley, according to this article, their vision was ultimately no workers and everybody else would be free to do whatever they were going to do. I don't really know. But... Um, and this is a quote. I have a couple of quotes here from the article. It says, even economists are reassessing their belief that technological progress lifts all boats and are beginning to worry about the new configuration of work. And it was said later in the article, it was just taken as writ, as as an article of faith, that more technology is better for the economy. And now it's, they, they mentioned the Luddites of the 19th century who smashed the automatic weavers you know and said well maybe they had a point like maybe this is not and it says recent research concluded that robots are reducing the demand for workers and weighing down wages now isn't that the point though like this is what i don't really get like of course it's reducing the demand for workers that was the whole point of it well i mean am i wrong about that like yeah but do you have to be an economist to figure that out i mean it's it's it is but then there is like you know, the the idea is that it should all work, right? So when, um, you know, in New York City, the back in the, you know, pre-automobile, the main form of transportation was horse, you know, horse and buggy, right? And there were, you know, literally, I think New York City was like drowning in horse crap. You know, there's so much horse crap. And they I actually thought that the city would be buried in horse crap. So as the automobile came along, there all the stables and the uh, guys who made the horseshoes, blacksmith, whatever it is, all those jobs disappeared. But then there were new jobs. There were jobs in factories to make the cars. And so there was, you know, and and those skills, you know, you'd have to learn new skills, but they were transferable. So that's the that was the idea of like that's the idea of this economic progress now you're you're having um but you know back then it wasn't like you were you know a robot was replacing you like right now so now the question is is like a legitimate and it's not just like truckers it's like legal work it's lawyers like there's a fair amount of and also another thing is like what you wouldn't think is like a radiologist right so a radiologist yeah is a very um, high-paying job. I mean, I think the average radiologist clears over two hundred grand. I mean, it's a very, very, um, it's a great-paying job, high, high prestigious. Now, the for AI and computers can read the the different grays in the um, the scans better than a human. So radiologists there's a case that radiologists might completely disappear so now you have uh med students who are not not going to become radiologists because the writing's on the wall because a computer can do it better same thing with legal stuff is you know you can you can have a computer um scan you know multiple documents for discovery you don't need the junior lawyers I mean, it's not like all lawyers are going to disappear. And then there was, um, I think we spoke about this on a on an earlier podcast, was 
and I, I think it's in it's at Duke that they have um, the IBM AI computer that is scanning millions and millions of past um, you know medical articles and I think you know hundreds are published each day and the the AI can determine like basically cases that were unsolvable by a, by the hot you know the the best group of doctors in the world they can get those doctors like a like 80% there and then the the human doctors have to take the the rest of the 20% but before that was like unknown even if you took hundreds of doctors it was impossible so i think there's all these moral implications that i don't think we're prepared to you know prepared to talk about and what's at stake is ripping apart communities families i mean it's we like i don't i'll be honest with you i don't see it i really don't because i'm in i'm in i'm in new york i'm in media everything looks fine when i go to la everything looks fine go to austin chicago but if you have a town built around a factory or a you know a community that's built around you know a manufacturing job whatever it is and 80 percent of the jobs go to robots that's that's a big big issue yeah and i mean uh, well again i go back to that quote about like recent research concluded robots are reducing the demand for workers like what do you mean recent research like like you know, again, I'm, I'm kind of playing devil's advocate here, but it's like, yeah, that was the point. And, and right, it's supposed to create, you know, that thing in, that we talked about right at the beginning. Like, it was supposed to create other industries that were going to create higher paying jobs and need workers for that. But, you know, when I was talking to Erin Griffith yesterday, and she was talking about, you know, the original startups, the Ubers and... Um, things like that, they were disrupting existing industries like taxis, uh, Airbnb, hotels. That's now, they aren't around anymore. So these new startups are having to push into other areas like software development, things like that. But <clears throat> there's an end cycle to these things. Like it's not, you know, people kind of, again, think like the gravy train is never going to stop even economists and they're you know resting this on something that ha on the industrial revolution when it's like all right but that was a, a totally different era you look at the numbers now in again around phoenix is where they're talking about um healthcare is the fastest growing sector banner health uh but you know again nurses assistants uh, thirty-one thousand home health aides twenty-four thousand now, the high productivity jobs, which they put in the range of 210000 to $30 million per worker. Those are your software engineers, people working at Axon, things like that. Those rose 14,000 jobs. 14,000 jobs were created since 2010. And the lowest productivity jobs, those rose 10 times that much. So now in the Phoenix area... In the highest end, there's 162,000 jobs, and the lowest, 673,000 jobs. And those are your cashiers, your hotel workers. And 
it seemed like the article is saying this is where it's going. So, I mean, like, the University of Arizona is cranking out engineers, but that market's going to get oversaturated, like you were saying with the radiologists. You know, like, how long is that going to be around? So, you know, again, it's like uh, Axon, you know, they... What was their thing here about their productivity? Um, Construction robots make four times as many taser cartridges as 80 workers once did... 10 years ago oh jesus there there are your 80 workers you well, know you, you can't uh, you can't compete like like a like i'm going back to the trucker example with a self-driving um, car the ai involved you, a, a trucker can't compete with that you have a machine that doesn't need to sleep that can drive 24 7 and you compare that with a human who First of all, they can only I think they can only drive 14 hours a day or 13 hours. There's some sort of rule. And then, you you know, you have to sleep, you have to eat. Um, and it, it's just you're going to the human's going to lose it, it. There's just no eventually. Yes, you're just you can't compete with that. You, there's there's no competition. And it's just like the radiologist is going to lose because the computer can read the subtle textures of the grays better and discover you know something bad and you're going to want that as opposed to the doctor so these you know i don't i don't know i don't know i don't personally know what the solution is i don't know if it's universal basic income i don't know if it's retraining i just don't i don't know but it is it could be it could result in mass mass protests and unrest if it if you know if it already isn't on the brink of doing that well uh, you know there's that but in the article they said it's more likely addiction to painkillers you know i mean look at the opioid crisis now i mean it's i think some of it i wouldn't say all of it but some of it stems from this you know you don't have a college degree. Even if you do have a college degree, like, what are you going to do? Like, what's your future like? So you go into nursing or something like that. And, you know, you can earn, you can live, you know, throw on $30,000 a year. You can earn, you know, you can live on less than that. But, you know, it's sort of like you start to figure what's the point? Like, what's the point of, you know, having, amb- I mean, obviously people are always going to have ambition, but, you know, it said the bottom line was employment in the high productivity jobs has shrunk over the past 30 years. And this was not what was supposed to happen. This is not, this was supposed to go in the opposite direction. And it did for a while. But, you know, it's, the, the trend is not going that way. And that, you know, I forget who said it um, in the article, but it was like, you know, where do we go from here? Like, what do you do with all these people who, and, and reference painkillers and opioid addiction and all of that? Like, you have a whole, I don't think they're going to rise in protest. I mean, unfortunately, I don't think that's going to happen. I think well, it's more like, well, I mean, maybe briefly they would, but protest against who? Against well, well, what? Well, well I, I just just two points. I think you, you can also look at the, um, you know, not just addiction, but you can look at the suicide rate. I think the uh, that, the, yeah. su- the suicide rate for I think is the highest among middle-aged men in, in their late 40s early 50s you know they've they've lost their job they've lost their identity and I think 
there was a study that you know 80% of a guy's um, um, a man's happiness is attributed to his job his ability to provide for his family and if you strip that from him you strip away you know his dignity you just strip away his meaning now whether that's right or not we can you know philosophize that but you know that's that's what it comes down to and I think that you know you got look you're, you're, I'm not. I don't know if if workers are going to protest, right? I don't know if if cashiers are going to protest or hospitality workers. But I know I do know what could happen. A scenario that could play out is you have, you know, let's say the truckers are uh, displaced en masse, right? And you have millions of truckers, okay? And the economics of trucking is they they own this rig, right? That they purchased probably with a 10, 20, or 30-year loan. So this is like, this is their business, right? And now they've been stripped from their job and they have this loan to pay, you know, and they're pissed off. They're So what would stop them from taking that rig and then parking it perpendicular across the interstate and just saying, hey, F you guys, no one's passing. And if you do that, Maybe if there's one, you could remove it. But what happens if there are 50? What happens if there are 100? Then that's a big problem to remove that. I mean, sure, you could throw them in jail and you can eventually tow that stuff out. But that could happen. There's, there's no... Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no saying... And that could, that's not like they're throwing Molotov cocktails in the street. But that would seriously disrupt um, transportation... Uh, could you know could cause accidents it could be unsafe and that could be a form of protest oh yeah yeah no i know and uh, i'm not i don't uh i don't denigrate the value of that i mean they've had big protests in paris you know last month and i don't exactly know what the end result of that was but it just sort of seems like you know the economy is the economy and however much you protest or whatever i mean it's it seems to be this inexorable independent force that like no amount of protesting again okay so say they park their truck across the highway well who is supposed to do what like what's who who makes like what's the result of that so they do that and they draw attention to it and then they get their jobs back like who no they, i mean they'll they'll dem- what i would think is they will make you know a list of demands that um that it's you know legislation would be passed that it would be illegal to have 100% of your trucking force um taken by ai I, uh, they would demand well some- that would come with voting yeah yeah and i could see that happening i mean i could see you know them but you know in america capitalism it's always you know companies are supposed to make money and the government is not supposed to tell companies they can't do certain things to make money you know president clinton a democrat enacted nafta so companies can make more money i don't have to pay this guy 20 bucks an hour i can ship my company to mexico and pay that guy two bucks an hour and it really depends on ideology like do you want the government to step in and say no, I mean, this is what Trump is trying to do. You know, strangely enough, paradoxically enough, it's like, I'm going to raise tariffs to protect the American worker. And that sells to a lot of people. But it's almost like socialism. I mean, then you're talking about 
the government controlling the economy. And, you know, when you put it to people that, I mean, I don't personally have a problem with it, but, you know, and, and actually that's become more acceptable. The word socialism, I mean, you might as well have called somebody a pedophile 20 years ago in politics. Right. If you call them a liberal or, a, I mean, God forbid you call them a liberal, let alone a communist or a socialist. That's been embraced. And I think, it, you know, maybe you're right. Like it takes a long time, but people are starting maybe to, to think about it like, I don't care who regulates this. I need a job. Right. Like, I don't. Right. But, you know, to a lot of people, that's anathema, especially people making money. I mean, Elon Musk, do you think he wants the government coming in and saying, hey, look, man, your workers can only work 10 hours a day. Elon Musk would have them strapped to that machine 24 hours a day. I mean, he makes no bones about that. That's what Aaron uh, Griffith was talking about. But is the government real? I mean, if you talk to some friends of ours, they that this is poison to them to even talk like that. But, you know, I remember like NAFTA and whatnot, people who were like generally more conservative, like my father, were like, this is not good. Like now, I think from what I understand, it actually didn't maybe hurt the American worker that much or there were different there are different reasons like NAFTA's gotten too much of the blame for that for shipping jobs overseas and and such but I don't know I mean it's you know obviously well, it, I'm it's, no economist. you know it's it's not a black and white issue you know jobs were definitely lost communities were destroyed families were ripped apart I mean that 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 happened through that trade deal but at the same time you can't it, it's it's not black and white. Like the government has to, some there's got to be a referee on the field. Someone's got to regulate it. But if there's too much regulation, where it becomes non-competitive, you know, where it, where it actually hurts companies and companies will, you know, they could they could go to another country and they could operate out of that other country and then they could lose more jobs. So there's a there's a delicate balance of you know, staying competitive, you know, in the world economy. I mean, obviously, like you don't want to shut everything down and build walls around the U.S. and then trade with no one, right? That's going to, that's not good. And then at the same, and the other point, you don't want to just, you know, have no regulations so that corporations can, you know, dump poisons in our rivers and lakes and send jobs to the lowest bidder and then there's no quality control and then you're driving down the highway and your wheels fall off but you know that company made an extra 3% profit we don't want that we, we you know it's like you don't want to bite into you know lettuce and die you, you, do you know what i mean it's so there has to be some sort of regulations but when it's over regulated then it, you know it it, it it's it's it serves the opposite. Well, that's always purpose. the push and pull. Right. I mean, that's always the push and pull. It's like, you know, the EPA, you know, they have the regulations are too onerous under Obama. They're costing us too much money. Now, whenever a CEO talks like that, I think like, okay, your salary is not going down. You're still earning $50 million a year. But if you were forced to earn $40 million a year, you would feel like someone stole $10 million from you right out of your bank account. And, and people are people. I mean, you can talk philosophy, ideology. You can present them with facts, da-da-da. Some people, uh, you know, someone opens a restaurant in their hometown. 
Do they want to pay more taxes? Do they want to cut into their profits? No, of course they don't. But, you know, the society has to run, the garbage has to get collected, the roads have to get paved, and all of that. So, you yeah, know, it I... just, in this country, it's very easy to throw in, I, I think it's still easy to, to say to people, hey, you don't want the government in your business. So keep the government out of your business and that's America. You know, we're individuals. We earn. That's what business is supposed to do, earn money. But that does not seem to be, you know, like replacing five workers with a robot. You would say, hey, it's good business. But what happens to those five workers? What do they do now? So, yeah, but, you know, you, you talk about like like socialism, like the, socialism exists in the United States. We just don't call it like we have a fire department. That's some kid said this. He was like, oh, that's socialism. And I said, you're sitting in a public school right now. Right. It's it's edu- like, what, it, what do you think this is? <laughs> it's, it's education. It's the fire department. If my house is burning down, I want someone to come and put it out. Sorry I interrupted you, but at your. Yeah, your audio kind of cuts in and out. So if I interrupt you, I'm not really aware of it. That's all right. So sorry I'm, about that. I'm, I'm used to you interrupting me. But like, yeah. The, the fire department, the police department, Medicare, Medicaid. Who do you think is paying for this? We all are. This is this is a form of socialism. But just just to go um, to the point of, you know, the government. Um, like for instance, in my house, I have a stretch of of land that is a, a converse uh, conservation strip. That was, I think, originally owned by the Nature Conservancy. So when I bought the house, I was I pay taxes on that land, but I'm not allowed to touch it. Fine, I don't. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's in a part of my property where nobody goes. I get a letter from the from the town of Huntington, um, Mr. Brancaccio. Uh, we've we found uh, uh, lawn clippings and debris on you know this conversation <laughs> thing, and you're you're responsible. You're going to get fined. My oh. so my neighbor, I've seen their landscaper like cut the lawn and then dump it on my property on this thing. And I've gone up to them twice. I'm like, you guys do it one more time. I'm going to call the cops like you can't dump this lawn clippings on my property, even though it's like organic material and it will just like make soil or whatever dissipate. Yeah. So but he, but here's the case of we, I called the town. I was like, look. I know who's doing this. I know who's dumping this stuff. Here's their number. Here's their thing, uh, sir. We don't we don't know if you're you're telling the truth. You might be dumping. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm not gonna. And for me to like take my lawn clippings and dump it in this part of my um, my property would be a Herculean task. Like it, it yeah. would just be so. And the the town picks up the town clipping. So why wouldn't I just put it? A hundred feet closer right. on the anyway. There's no reasoning with the town. <laughs> right. So there. So now yeah. I have to send a certified letter to the um, to the mm. landscaping people. I got to send a certified letter to my neighbor who um, pays those people. It's a complete disaster. Oh, and, and the other thing too is my other neighbor up the road is kind of like she's an environmentalist. And she's always knocking on our door and she's like, oh, you have invasive species on your property. I'm going to go and clip oh, them and cut them God. down. So I was, at <laughs> first we were like, sure, have at it, which was a big mistake. We should have just said no. 
They also stated in the things, they're like, we noticed that you have removed this, you know, it was the Latin name for like two plants off of your property, and you're not permitted to touch or alter this land in any way, shape, or form. Oh, I go, God. so I tell him, I was like, listen, I got a crazy, per I shouldn't say crazy, I have, a, I have a woman up the block, she does this all the time. She's like, well, you got to send her a certified letter and say that she's oh. not allowed to go on your property. <laughs> I'm like, and you know what? Like I, so here's an example. Cause you have nothing else to do. Yeah, you, nothing, you have else. nothing else to do. But here's an example <laughs> of like, I, I want like the environment. I don't want people to like dump stuff on my property. I don't want people to dump stuff on other people's property. I, I want that environmental component of the town of Huntington here, but here's an yeah. instance where, I don't know. It's a, you know, it's a slow time of year for them in February. They got nothing to do. So they drive over to my house and they're like, let's pick on this idiot. They literally drove to your house and inspected this property just yep. for the hell of it. Yeah, they did. They did. They, they must have did it. Else to do. They must have did it at some time last week in the middle of the day. They just came and inspected it. And then we got the letter. You know, we have that house up in Sugar Hill, New Hampshire, which their whole thing is live free or die, which is all BS. We pay a view tax. <laughs> like people think New Hampshire is this libertarian state, whatever. A view tax. Because you can sort of see if you stand in part of the yard, the mountain over beyond. A view tax. And and houses that have a, more of a view pay more of a tax. Mm. That sounds, uh, that sounds the house, fair. That's, that sounds like live free or die. It's the most ludicrous. And anytime you want to do anything, like the house we had up there burned down about 15 years ago. So my parents rebuilt. And this took like three years because the town, kept, oh, well, your front steps are too close to the road. It's like they're not, they're, they're the same distance they were before. <laughs> like we have the plans out. Oh, you can't, like, you can't have an upstairs bedroom. And like, what are you talking about? Like, they really fight you because talk about a place where they don't have anything else to do. They, they, it's 500 people in this town, central New Hampshire, kind of isolated. They have nothing else to do no, but this, ride the, around. Someone, listen, someone got a job to be the inspector and he's going to inspect. That's, that's what it this comes is, down to. There's a uh, restaurant, uh, Polly's Pancake Parlor. It's an institution, <laughs> it's been there for. Decades. A, a, decades. A, a, shout out to, a shout out to Polly's Pancake Parlor. Polly's Pancake Parlor. So they renovated. They took down the old building, which was an old barn. Very nice and charming. And they built this new one, which is wonderful. And they got an a alcohol license. So now they're open year-round. They're only open until 3 o'clock. There's this rule. You can only have two drinks. And you have to order food. And they go through this thing about, like, you can't, like, someone at the table can't order two, and then you order two, and you drink one of theirs. <laughs> it's this long, complicated, that I'm like, is this really an issue? Like, they serve mimosas, Bloody Marys, you know, kind of standard stuff. There's a diner in the town of Littleton. It's like, you can only have three drinks per visit. There must be eight hours between visits. So if you have three Budweiser's, you have to then wait eight hours to order a fourth one at this particular establishment. And you have to order food each time. And it's like, 
Good lord! Like what is well, going I, you know, on? You know here? what? I bet it that was probably the condition on them getting their liquor license because. Oh yeah! Oh, old, absolutely. Old, old, yeah. old Pete would saunter in there, have eight beers, and then be all over the road. You know what? But like, well, I mean, so what? Like, the, yeah. I, I've never heard of this in any other place. Like, you know, drink as much alcohol as you want if you're not driving. So what? You know, but yeah, no, no, I'm sure it was part of the. No, liquor that, license. I mean yeah. that's that's a that's a valid point. Like if you're not driving, you can drink as much as you want. But they're probably yeah. you know this is a draconian. This is like everybody. They don't know who's not driving, right? So then everybody's. I've just never heard of it. I've never I've never heard it. I've never heard of it either. I mean, I know in um, like. Uh, stadiums, sports uh, events, basketball games, baseball games, they cut you off, you know, because they cut you off at like the seventh inning or the third period. You can't order order any alcoholic beverages after that because the assumption is you're thoroughly liquored up and you don't need another one. Well, and if you're visibly intoxicated, they're not going to... Well, yeah. if you're visibly intoxicated, that- they're they're not going to serve you. But even if you right. say you didn't drink the whole game, and you the fourth quarter begins of a basketball game, and you go to get a Budweiser, you can't. You. Well, that's fair enough. I mean, I think that's very understood. Everybody knows that about baseball games, seventh inning, and whatnot. But it just strikes me as like, really, like I mean, and I don't drink. I mean, it it really doesn't matter to me. But I'm sort of like. It's just funny. I'll take a picture of it and post it on our Instagram. It's this whole policy. And this is not a bar. It's just, it's a diner, which serves beer. It's not like you go in there to like. Well, I'm sure people have tried to get away with it. To be like, okay, mom, let's go over this plan. You, I'm going (laughs) to order the two drinks. I'm going to go to the bathroom. You order the drink. And then switch it quickly with my empty drink so I have a full drink when I come back from the bathroom. Foolproof. But it almost encourages that type of behavior. Oh, absolutely. I I would be doing that. I'd be planning this out like a football game. I'd have like a board out. I'd be doing the X's and the O's. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, You know, just to end off here... uh, I read there's a little blurb in that magazine I get the uh, called The Week about sick shaming at work. And it's people who are showing up to work like very ill. And it, again, it goes to this grind culture. Like people are very paranoid to take sick days. And apparently some companies have been saying, stay home. Like you're going to infect the whole office. And this has led to like, one woman said she sprayed a co-worker's chair and desk with disinfectant <laughs> and rubbed Purell. Like other people talk about rubbing Purell. They had uh, someone came in sick. They made her wear rubber surgical gloves because Jesus. she was going to infect everybody. And it is this like culture. And again, this goes back to, you know, what I was talking about with Aaron yesterday. Like, you know, I rarely take sick days, but. This year, I felt terrible. Like, I just felt everybody was sick. And, you know, I couldn't really talk very well. And so I took a sick day. Felt better, you know, went back to work. But people are afraid to take vacation days. They're afraid to take sick days. They've got to show up. And my question to Aaron about all of that working 130 hours a week, whatever that lunatic at at Yahoo was talking about, it's like, is this ego-driven? Is this anxiety-driven? Or is it both? Like, 
thinking I am so important, what I do is so important that I have to work 80 hours a week. Well, I, I or think, on the flip side... Sorry, go ahead. Or I was going to say, am I so... like? It's almost like overselling what I do. And, and she talked about this as well. I'm not sure she totally agreed with me on this point, but like, again, these people are not developing a cure for lymphoma. You know, it's like kind of meaning, maybe not meaningless. It, it, it helps people's lives and things like that. But, you know, kind of the, the lack of like, you have the veneer that this is so important and it's like, it's not. I guess my point was like, like people are anxious about that, so they really overcompensate by working these absurd hours, or so-called working. I'm I cannot believe anybody's really working that entire twelve hours a day. Well, I mean, I think it's 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 probably both. You know, it's fear, it's ego. I mean, some people are le- legitimately. It could be the culp- company culture. Like nobody gets sick, nobody takes vacations. Hustle, hustle, hustle. So then you come in when you're sick because you think you're going to lose your job or yeah. you think you're, you know, the top dog and the whole organization is going to fall apart if you don't drag your sniffling ass in on Tuesday morning. That could be the issue, yep. too. But I mean, it all depends. I, I always I always think things run better when I'm not there. That that right. generally is give, give, give it to some to, <laughs> give it to someone else because I'm the I'm the wrench in the works. They're like, listen, thank God Matt's not here with the distracting pissing and moaning and right. blah, blah. We can let, let's get so, John, you take uh, and Pete take what Matt was supposed to yeah. do and do it correctly. OK, Matt, Matt, Matt has been on uh, this this task for the past two weeks. I'm sure you oh guys can God. can wrap this up before lunch. Just yeah, <laughs> take about an hour. Take about an hour. <laughs> He's been complaining and moaning about it. <laughs> yeah. And as far as I can tell, it's made no progress. So uh, thankfully, we're, we all get a break today because Matt stayed home. Excellent. Uh, all right, everybody. Well, thanks for listening to another edition of the Working Experience Podcast. Please download us listen to us however you can listen to us recommend us to your friends hey when you're driving to work you know just slap us on no big deal we're not you know it doesn't cost you anything time i suppose but you know what else are you doing in the car i think we're we're a good commuting listen we're a good at office listen when you're bored maybe midday had a cup of coffee just throwing a throwing a um throw on the headphones and turn us on and then also on the way home you know or or yeah, or yeah, if you're absolutely. outside on the weekend doing some yard work go for a run put put us on slap it on you might learn something and, and i definitely not learn anything and share it <laughs> share it with friends and family and uh we you know again email us work at the working experience.com we'd love to hear from you guys and girls all right Thanks, everybody. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Working Experience. We'd like to thank our sponsors, One Circle Media and the Still Believe app, the only app that delivers video proof of the Tooth Fairy and Santa by simply taking a picture. Download the app at stillbelieve.co today and amaze your kids. And if you work for a studio, network, startup, or corporation and are looking for a partner to create media that will build, engage, and entertain your audience, 
reach out to me at john, J-O-H-N, at onecirclemedia.com. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you again for listening to another episode of The Working Experience.